Well, good morning. We have one more full day in what I think we could say if we packed up and headed home now, we would already say has been a rich and blessed time. The Lord has been kind to us. Once again, we're going to begin this morning with a devotion. I'll just give a wee introduction to our speaker. It is Pastor Robert Briggs, who was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Pastor Briggs attended Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Divinity in 1992. He served in pastoral ministry in Northern Ireland from 1992 to 2003, when he was called to pastor Emmanuel Baptist Church of Sacramento. He presently serves as president of the Reformed Baptist Seminary. Pastor Briggs. Would you please come and begin our morning with the Word of God. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, men and ladies. What a joy it is, what a privilege, and it is an honor to be asked to bring a devotional to you this morning. I spend a few minutes introducing things because I realize that for some of you, it takes a little bit of time to tune in to the frequency. And so uh, once you've tuned in, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but uh, until you do, I'm up here making noise rather than communicating the Word of God. But it is a joy to be with you this morning, um, and as Gordon asked me to do this, I wondered what I might actually speak to you about in thinking about where I was falling in the order of things, realizing that you're all pretty tired by this stage I wondered what I ought to minister to you uh, from. And so I've chosen a very familiar text, one that I think will hopefully uh, send us on our way uh, with challenge, with encouragement, and hopefully renewed vigor to serve the Lord. You've had, I think, in many ways, two, two indicatives in the last two uh, devotionals from John and from Gary. And so I thought, well, I will bring the imperative this morning. And so let's turn together to 2 Timothy and to chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read together verses 1 through 5. This is the Word of God. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the word, persist in it, whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's ask God's help this morning as we come to his word. Father, we are gathered before you this morning, recognizing that you are our God and that we are your people. We thank you, Father, that you have entered into everlasting covenant with us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you honor and praise for the many blessings that are ours because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Spirit, whom you've sent into our hearts, that we might live for your glory on the earth. And Father, we do bless you for the, 
the time that we've enjoyed this week together for the, the spirit of peace and unity and joy that we have experienced. And Father, even on this final day, we pray now that you would come and you would meet with each and every one of us, that you would refresh us, Lord, even in our tiredness, that we might rejoice in you and that we might be renewed afresh to go back to our various spheres of ministry with resolve to live for your glory and to fulfill the work that you've given us to do. Bless these moments together now in your word, we pray that you might, O oh God, be glorified, that Christ might be formed in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think that over the last few years, as the Lord has been dealing with me, one of the things that he's really been challenging me about is the whole matter of life in our local church and how we might encourage our people to actually be a people who take the gospel to the world. And as I reflected upon what I might minister to you about this morning, my mind has gone back over a number of years as a Reformed Baptist, nearly 25 years now, thinking through some things in terms of where I think we've erred at times as Reformed Baptists, where I think we can grow as Reformed Baptists, and seeking to apply much of that to the ministry that the Lord has given me in Sacramento. Uh, I thought it would be good to draw your attention this morning to some things from this pastoral epistle. If you're a pastor, you ought to spend much time with the Apostle Paul, and especially you ought to traffic much in the pastoral epistles. Any pastor worth their salt will be thankful to the Lord that he gave us the Apostle Paul and that the Apostle Paul gave us First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And the very special book of Second Timothy, I think, is important for us to consider because it is really the last words of the Apostle Paul to young Timothy before he enters into glory. The last words of any man or any woman are, if they're thoughtful at all, to be considered with a measure of gravitas. The last words of Paul to Timothy, I think, are particularly poignant and significant because they are words spoken by the greatest missionary in the history of the Christian church. And they are spoken to a young man that he desired would take the gospel ministry on in the generation after, Timothy, after Paul. And as I thought about what the Lord is doing here, there is a sense in which this is the next generation of Reformed Baptists if we are to trace the origins of our movement back to the 60s, even though I know we can go back to the 1650s and all of that. But if we're to take it in the modern era, there is a sense in which this is the second generation. And so I think the words of Paul to Timothy have a very significant and poignant application for us as we gather together at this particular time in our lives and in our history. God wants us to ponder the words that Paul wrote to his young friend, his young protege, if you will, Timothy. And I want us to think about them this morning as well. You're very familiar with them, no doubt, in terms of the actual substance of what we have before us here. This is a solemn charge. That's what the text actually tells us. Uh, Paul wants to remind Timothy of the fact that his ministry is carried out primarily under the eye of Almighty God. 
under the eye of King Jesus. And so Paul charges Timothy to remember that, to be aware of that. He says to him, before God and Christ Jesus, I want to charge you, Timothy, with a particular responsibility. Timothy's mind and eye would no doubt have gone to think of God and of Christ and of the fact that God in Christ is, as Paul says here, going to judge the living and the dead. So there's a sense in which what God, what Paul does here is he charges Timothy to think of his life in the present, but he calls him to consider his life at the end of the day. He wants him to think about the here and now, but he wants him to think about the there and then. When we will stand before God and give an account for our lives and for our ministries. And he speaks to him about Christ's appearing, something that Paul will speak about in Titus as well. Christ appearing, coming and bringing his kingdom into fullness. Paul wants Timothy to have in his ministry an eternal perspective. And brothers and sisters, that's critically important when you consider Christian ministry. Christian ministry is an eternal work. It's not a temporal work. There are temporal dimensions, of course, but it is an eternal work. What we are engaged in is an eternal thing. It is something that God has been doing in the world long before we ever appeared, and he will continue to do it long after we have gone. And the issue for us is that we, as Paul says here, would fulfill our ministry in the time that we have been given. And the older I'm getting, the faster the years are coming at me, the more I'm realizing the time is moving on and it won't be long until our place remembers us no more. And that's a sobering thing for us to consider. That's a serious thing for us to consider. Paul challenges, therefore, Timothy to consider then the reality of the presence of God, the eye of God upon him as he carries out his Christian ministry. And in this charge that Paul gives Timothy, he breaks out into a five-fold directive, as one commentator has said, with military precision, he fires out directives to Paul, to Timothy. Preach the word. That's the general challenge. That's the the overarching uh, command, if you will. Preach the word. We know that Paul, when he says preach the word, is referring to the whole counsel of God. All the things that God wants us to know. Preach them. Uh, He tells them, and, and I'm using the Holman version this morning, he says, do it whether it's convenient or not. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to have a a propensity to want to do things when they're convenient. And then rationalize the fact that it was a spiritual decision. But the reality is here, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that Paul is calling Timothy to preach the word no matter what, no matter where, when it's difficult, when it's easier, uh, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. He's really saying, Look, your whole life, Timothy, needs to be consumed with the whole reality of being a minister of the Word of God, bringing the Word of God to bear wherever you have the opportunity. He then tells them how to do it, convince, rebuke, exhort. Interesting, if you take that back to 2 Timothy 3.16, how it compares 
with the sufficiency of the word than the very things the word is intended to do. We don't have time to unpack that this morning. But I want you to see here the manner in which it's to be done. With all long suffering, or with great patience and teaching. We heard from David yesterday, my good brother from France, how it takes time to plant. Right? He may be removing the rocks right now. I was listening, David. But the reality is, once he sows the seed, we trust the harvest will come. But it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. We live in this instant age, don't we? We live in this generation where we get instant everything. So we think we'll have instant church. And that's actually come into certain circles where you just have to turn up and we're going to, we're going to put up our launch and suddenly we're going to have thousands of people. And of course, we've had more church planting efforts come through Midtown Sacramento in the last seven years than I can care to remember. And none of them are still there. They've had all manner of interesting different names, which I won't get into. But the reality is that uh, church planting is hard. Gospel ministry is hard. Missionary endeavor is hard. When I think of Tom Compare in China, I remember when Tom came home and was evaluated by Mebin and was sent back to China. And, and he's just quietly got on with things. When, when Andy uh, put up the thing uh, for his report and talked about 30 works going on there. It was, it was wonderful to think over the years of just faithful endeavor, some 20 odd years, God has been pleased to do his work. It takes time. So you have to be patient. Paul understood this. He's, he's exhorting Timothy toward this. But he then warns him that the time is going to come when people are going to depart from the gospel. People are going to turn away from that old message that is ever new. The message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they're going to look for new ideas, new things. And let's be honest, in America, we have become, in many ways, experts at that which is new. The gospel has been so reinvented that we know it's not the gospel anymore. It's an amazing thing that people have lost the gospel and they've replaced it with all manner of different ideas. And Paul digresses for a minute to warn Timothy of the need to be preaching the gospel, preaching the word the way he exhorts him with the patience and with teaching because people are going to start to depart from the truth of the gospel. And then he closes, and this is where I really want us to get to, he closes with a fourfold personal exhortation to Timothy. Be watchful, or as the Holman says here, be serious about everything. I don't think he means there that you can't enjoy yourself and smile from time to time. If not, I need to do a fair bit of repenting on that. But the reality is, I think what he's saying is when it comes to the message and the ministry that you're engaged in, you are deadly serious about what you're doing. And you are vigilant and watchful about it because you know that this is the most important thing in the world. And then he tells them to endure hardship. And we won't get into that. But the third thing is really what I want us to get to. Because this is, the, this is the imperative that I want to leave you with this morning. He says this. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, I want us just to, for a few moments, unpack this. If you hear nothing else of what I've said to you this morning and you go home saying, what did that Scotsman say? I just want this phrase to ring in your head. Do the work of an evangelist. Do 
the work of an evangelist. That is all I want you to get this morning from this devotional. Do it out of devotion to Christ, as John reminded us. Do it to the praise of his glory, as Gary reminded us. Do the work of an evangelist. I am absolutely persuaded that the reason why some other Calvinistic Baptist circles have enjoyed more blessing than we have is because they have been doing the work of an evangelist and we haven't. We haven't been heeding this part of Paul's charge to Timothy. So here we are. We're at a missions conference. We're at a conference stirring each other up to do missions, to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what better way to go away from here? And David will complete it tonight as he brings his message, I'm sure. Do the work of an evangelist. Three things I simply want us to consider. First of all, what is this work that is being spoken of here by Paul to Timothy? This noun evangelist is found only two other places in the whole of the New Testament. It's found in Acts 21 verse 8 where it refers to Philip. Now that's very helpful because that helps us to then go to Acts 8 where Philip is taken into the wilderness, you know the account well, where he sees a man in a chariot heading back home. Just so happens, in the providence of God, he's reading Isaiah 53. Now, I don't know about you, but if I get onto an airplane and someone was sitting beside me reading Isaiah 53, and they turned and said to me, what does this mean? I'd be going, yes, fantastic. This is going to be a good trip. The reality is that Philip took the initiative. You know, in the text it says, he went to him and says, do you understand? what you are reading. Do you understand? Now, of course, Philip knew God had sent him there for that opportunity, but Philip was doing the work of an evangelist. What was it he did? As you examine it, he explains who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I'm glad it's simple. I didn't say it was easy, but I'm glad it's simple. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. Well, wait a minute. What about election? Who Jesus is? What Jesus, well, wait a minute. What about the decrees of God? Who Jesus is? What Jesus has done? That's the gospel. That's the work of an evangelist. Interesting, the other place that we find it is Ephesians 4.11, where we read there of our risen Lord giving to the church evangelists. Now, I don't plan to start another controversy amongst Reformed Baptists this morning. At least I hope not. I mean, I think they start without realizing we're starting them. But uh, I'm not going to hopefully start one. But notwithstanding the discussion and the debate regarding the gift of evangelists to the church that, let's be frank, has dogged Reformed circles uh, for as long as we've been Reformed, we see that our text here in 2 Timothy 4 makes it very clear. Do the work of an evangelist, right? Whether it's an office or whether it's not an office or whether they're still in the church or they're not in the church, I'm not getting into that today. I personally believe they ought to be. I have some good anecdotal evidence at the end I'm going to read to you uh, that I think we need to 
maybe have a conference on it sometime. Maybe it can be a topic in the future, I don't know. I remember Brother Bob many years ago, I think it was in East Moline, I was there, and he spoke on evangelism, and it was a wonderful time. Um, and so that's another discussion. All I want you to get this morning from the Word of God is this. Do the work of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? How do we identify it? We identify it from the Scriptures. How men were led by the Spirit to do this work. What was it? They were explaining who Jesus was and what Jesus had done and calling for a response from the hearers with regards to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what the work of an evangelist really is. That's how we identify it. Now, that brings us to consider quickly the second thing. What does this work require? There's a requirement. And that is, first of all, that you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You yourself must understand what the gospel is. And you yourself must believe this gospel if you are going to truly do this work of an evangelist. I challenge you to go back to your churches and ask your people to give you a definition in a few sentences of what the gospel is. It might shock you. It might embarrass you. You've been sitting under your ministry for a long time and they don't know how to define the gospel. They start talking about the confession. They start talking about the five points of Calvinism. And you want to know, what's the, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? Well, if you're going to do the work of an evangelist, if you're going to bring the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, first of all, you yourself must know who Jesus is. He is God come in the flesh to accomplish the redemption of sinners. And what a wonderful ministry Rick Phillips brought to us last night regarding this great gospel that we have. So just bring all of Rick's sermon and pour it into this point in my devotion this morning. Rick done all the work. He can have all the honor. Saves me having to spend the next half an hour going through it. I don't have that much time. But here's the reality, brothers and sisters. We should have a framework for our people. And I would encourage you, one of the most beneficial little books I've seen in the modern era is the little booklet that Greg Gilbert has done. What is the gospel? I use it all over the place. I've used it with the men in the Union Gospel Mission. I've used it with the men at the, the Sacramento Republic. I use it in our own church. It gives you a framework of what the gospel is, explaining who God is. Holy, just, righteous, to whom we will give an account. Tells us about man and our fallenness, and our sinfulness, and our guilt, and our deserving of condemnation, tells you who Christ is, in his wonderful love and grace, coming as the Savior and substitute for sinners, and then calls us to response, repent and believe, and you shall be saved, and it lays it all out. Knowing what the gospel is and believing the gospel ourselves are critically important things for us if we would do the work of an evangelist. But there's more than that. If we would do the work of an evangelist, we must love this Christ who has saved us to such an extent that we want to tell him, tell others all about him. We want to tell everybody about him. As many people as we can. Now, I don't know about you brothers, but after nearly 25 years of being a pastor, I know there have been seasons in my life where that zeal has waned at different times. To my shame and to my own detriment, 
But I want to stir you up today. I want to encourage you in this today. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The more we traffic in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, the more we traffic in devotion to this Jesus who has loved us and saved us from sin and coming again for us, the more our hearts are truly delighting in God because it's all about him and what he has done for us and what he yet desires to do for us. And so we must have love for him, but we must have more than that. We must have love for our fellow man, realizing that if they die without Jesus, they will face eternal hell. I think of Andrew Bonner, one of my Scottish compatriots, and this story is told in his, his diary where he's lying in his bed in Edinburgh on a Saturday night, and he would listen, as he says, to the feet of the people below his window trudging their way to hell on the way home on a Saturday night. And he would be pleading with God that God might work by his spirit to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to see God glorified, if we're going to see that this movement flourish, we must do the work of an evangelist. We must believe this gospel. We must live out the truths of this gospel. And that brings us to the last thing I want us to see. Well, what is, to see what, what does it look like doing the work of an evangelist? I want to give you some just practical thoughts to send you back home, uh, stirred up and able to bring these things before the Lord. Uh, we're not going to be whipped away to the wilderness to meet a eunuch, but we could be, as I mentioned, on an airplane. Most, some of us will be, Lord willing, on an airplane in the next few days. Who's God put beside you in the airplane? He's put someone there. Are you going to speak to them? Now, it can go one of two ways, right? It's happened to me many times. You get on the plane, you're praying, Lord, this is an opportunity. You sit down. One of the benefits of being Scottish in America is everybody wants to know where I'm from, why I'm here. Well, that conversation then only goes one of two ways. The minute I say where I'm from, it's wonderful. The minute I say what I do then it can be headphones. Out comes the book. Or they can ask more questions. And that's where the opportunity comes. We have a captive audience for four or five or six or seven hours to speak to them about the things of their soul. But I want to challenge you as you go back to your churches. I am persuaded, men, that a river never rises any higher than its source. And if your church culture lacks evangelistic endeavor, I would venture to say it's possible it's because you lack evangelistic endeavor. And I want you to be honest about that before the Lord. I want you to consider if your people are struggling to bring the gospel to the community, could it be because they haven't really seen it well modeled in you and the way you go about your ministry? All of us have businesses near our churches, perhaps. Have you ever considered simply just dropping in and telling them you're the pastor from the church and you just want to pray for them? Be amazed. Well, what if they're not God's elect? Don't worry. None of the non-elect will be saved. Only the elect. You don't have to worry about that part. That's not your business. Right? Don't get all bent out of shape because of your Calvinism, but use it rather to realize, who knows? How many of God's elect are in there? We don't know. God hasn't revealed that. Your business is salvation and your business is the gospel. As Spurgeon said, leave the electing up to God. He's got that well covered. But what about the businesses? Have you ever considered the fire stations? 
Have you ever considered the police stations? Oh, I tell you now, policemen right now are very open to encouragement. If you pop in and tell them you want to pray for them, pray for their protection. We have a couple of police officers in our church. I tell you, they're under pressure. The doors could well open to do the work of an evangelist. All of us have those things in our communities. What about the restaurants that we frequent? Uh, yesterday, Kyle and I were at a little pharmacy down the road here, and there was a young Muslim girl right there serving us. Now, we didn't have the chance to give her the gospel at that point, but we were friendly and we were warm. We found out where she was from, Pakistan. We found out uh, it was in northern Pakistan. She was very kindly, and I thought, if I lived here, I could go back there, and I could keep buying my toothpaste from that shop, and I could keep getting a chance to talk to that girl eventually to bring her the gospel, to do the work of an evangelist. Brothers and sisters, this is not rocket science. If it was, I couldn't explain it. It's simple. It's straightforward. I think of Brother Bob's uh, letters that we get and pray for. Uh, just the simple things. Going to the gym. As you can tell, I don't go very often. But <laughs> going to the gym, right? There's opportunity. To get to know people, if you're really disciplined and you go there and you get the same people are serving you, to do the work of an evangelist. Now, what I've simply done in my ministry because of the business of it, I've built in a couple of particular things that are geared and intentional toward evangelism. One of them is the, the rescue mission that I go into teach at with the homeless twice a year. And we do a, a Thursday night, once a month uh, service there. And we've had a few conversions and we've had some baptized and added to our church from that ministry. It's been a wonderful blessing. The other thing is folding in my only other love after my Lord and my wife and family is my football. And so therefore, I've had opportunity to be working as a chaplain at the local soccer team and take eight of the guys through what is the gospel. And Lord willing, next year it'll be, who is Jesus? And the year after that, if the Lord's pleased to keep that door open, it'll be, can we trust our Bibles? And having them over for barbecues and, and getting to know them. Now, that may not be something you can do. I certainly could never be a chaplain for a baseball team. I don't understand the game. But the reality is, soccer is second nature to me because I grew up with that. God has put in all of us certain things by nature. That if we only thought it through, we could do the work of an evangelist. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. It's been a wonderful time. It's been challenging. It's been encouraging. Spirit of prayer last night that we had with some of the men around the campfire at Nix was just a delight. But listen, it will all be to no avail if all we've done is come here, enjoyed each other's fellowship, heard reports, and we go back and we sit on our hands. No, we must do the work of an evangelist. We must cultivate a culture of evangelism in our churches. We must be concerned to teach our people the, the simplicity of the gospel. Yes, the profundity of it, but the simplicity of it that even the youngest Christian can share something of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and call people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must model it ourselves. If we ourselves are doing it, then we're going to be excited about it. We're going to talk about it at prayer meeting. We're going to talk about it from the pulpit. We're going to encourage our people to realize that we, we too are engaged in the community seeking to reach people for Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, when was the last time you personally, outside of your pulpit, when you, that you personally spoke to someone who's not a Christian, the whole gospel, or even attempt.
is that if I don't give them all the gospel right now, I may have another opportunity and I can be confident that the Lord knows those who are his and the Lord will save who he chooses to save. But I want to ask you this. Are we stuck behind our pulpits? Are we more concerned about writing books that only 0.01% of the Christian population are ever going to read anyway? Are we more concerned about making a name for ourselves? Are we more concerned about being experts on less and less? You see, time is passing. The judgment is coming. There's plenty of work all around us. Are we doing the work of an evangelist? Now, I'm not here to make you feel bad. But brothers, sisters, we are called to this. To fulfill our ministry. Do we love people enough to tell them about the only savior from sin? The only hope that they have in all the world that they might be saved, Jesus Christ. Be intentional. Be thoughtful. Think it through. How you may build this into your life that it becomes part of the, the very warp and woof of your soul and your life and, and what you do and your intentionality. Let us not miss what missions is fundamentally all about. Making disciples. And no disciple was ever made without someone doing the work of an evangelist. We are to be those, if we would be faithful to our calling, if we would shepherd an outward looking and an outward influencing church, we ourselves must heed the apostolic directive to Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Let me just read to you one thing as we close. I got this book before I came away and so I brought it on the plane with me. It's called Baptists and, Baptists and Mission. I've only really got started and the first chapter is very interesting. I didn't even know everything that was in this book, but this one is called Hansard Knollis, English Particular Baptist and Mission. And here's what it says. During the 1650s, as the Calvinistic Baptists embarked upon a missionary agenda, I thought, oh, that's interesting. They're doing it again. Knollis was absent from his London congregation on several occasions while preaching elsewhere. This expansion or expansionism, sorry, served not only as an evangelistic thrust, but also helped to establish particular Baptist churches in the counties beyond London and a network or web of relationships between the various churches, both those which were new and those that already were in existence. Now, what's that saying? It's saying to us, we're not doing anything new here. We're being revived in something that's already been done. That actually comes right from the very mouth of Jesus himself with regards to the Great Commission. But our forefathers saw this. Hansard Knollis, it's an amazing story of his, his evangelistic zeal, his evangelistic preaching. He was stoned for preaching the gospel. He was jailed for preaching the gospel. Him and William Kiffin were, were, were hammered in England for doing this. But they went out. They took the gospel out. You may not know the history of that, but I want to encourage you to realize that if we're going to see expansion, and I hope you believe then that's what we want to see. Some people, it seems we take pride in small things. Well, you know, that's in the Lord's hands, but we're to be faithful. But I want to see growth. I want to see souls saved. Well, to do that, you must do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And God will do the rest. He has promised to do it. Let us believe that. 
and let us, by God's grace, fulfill our ministry. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we do not <coughs> love you as we ought to, but we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our wisdom, our redemption, our sanctification. We thank you that we have this great and glorious message that we heard so well last evening uh, to preach and proclaim. We believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. But our Father, we pray for courage. We pray, Lord, for love for our fellow man that as we go from this conference, we would do the work of an evangelist, whether it be in the coffee shop, whether it be in the gym, whether it be even on the airplane on the way home, that our hearts might be stirred to speak of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that you might receive all the glory and that the lost and the perishing might come to know your son and our savior. For we ask it in his name. Amen.